Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life, Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is our seething with anticipation of the start of the podcast, oh. Education and Events Coordinator, am Emily getting, Crawl. Am I getting a weird introduction every week now? Pacing. I guess that's a thing. And I'm, I'm there the pacing, for it. Pacing, anticipating, hostile, mo- anyway. <laughs> um... It's nice that we're talking about some lighter topic, a lighter introduction to start, because this episode is going to be pretty heavy. Uh, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court case in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, kind of a wrinkle that a lot of people haven't thought of that could be extremely pivotal in the outcome of this case if Roe versus Wade is to be overturned. We're going to talk about the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, in a very censored way, because this is on the radio. Uh, it's a very unfortunate topic. But first, let's talk about Ohio. Oh. Let's just be frank. Uh, an abortion facility in Ohio left a corpse in their garbage. What yeah. was the name of that uh, clinic? The clinic is called the Northeast Ohio Women's Center. So N O W C for short. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in it. It wasn't just they didn't leave just the corpse. It was the a corpse of a seventeen. They estimate about seventeen weeks gestation. So we know the baby is at that point fully formed. Everything is there. All it needs at just this point. Just a few weeks from viability. Just a few weeks from viability. So the only thing that's going to change between that baby when it's seventeen weeks gestation and when it's born is its size. Mm-hmm. And so there were some some pro-life people who were decided to go check the trash can at the back of the abortion clinic, and they found um, the remains of the 17-week-old child who had undergone a... The fact, you know, why would pro-lifers check the garbage bins? Well, um, it's a very common practice... Over the years, lots of abortion facilities really don't take it seriously because in their mind, this isn't a child, this isn't a human being, this child doesn't deserve humane disposition, they've been totally cut off from the human family, so they are just a thing, an object, and so throwing it in the garbage to them is is a cheap solution, so... If you had to take care of the baby as a human being, like a regular human being, that would be really expensive. Um, but even taking care of the baby as biohazard is still an expense abortion facilities don't like. You know, we had an experience, a couple experiences in Michigan, but one where uh, the owner of several abortion facilities in the east side of the state was giving a talk at a abortion conference and explained how her uh, the disposal company wasn't going to take the babies anymore and so she had these bodies stacking up like cordwood in her freezers and she joked about driving in her van up north and burning them in a bonfire um it's grotesque and disgusting we've had abortion facilities in michigan that have been had been closed because they did that um one time we had a had it so that the pro-lifer who found the bodies actually got fined 
by the state of Michigan, the Department of Environmental Quality, sent them the fine for discovering the babies instead of the facility for disposing of these kids this way. So this happens a lot. Uh, abortion facilities just do this. They don't care. To them, it's cheap and a way to cut corners so they can make more money. These independent abortion facilities, especially unlike Planned Parenthood, can't call up $500 million in taxpayer funding a year. They are businesses, the hardcore businesses, and they exist to make the abortionist who owns it very, very wealthy. Like the Grand Rapids abortionist who drives a very nice car. There's one on the east side of the state who loved uh, luxury European import cars. Um, Anyway. Yeah. There is one kind of unique and intriguing thing about this case um, when you take into account what's going on in Ohio. In the very end of 2020, um, Governor Mike DeWine signed a bill into law called the Unborn Child Dignity Act, which would require abortion facilities to have an informed consent aspect, and the infant remains would either be buried or cremated. So this specific abortion facility, Northeast Mm -hmm. Ohio Women's Center, is currently suing the state of Ohio to end that law. I wonder why, Emily. So if if you ever think of they're just benign, they don't want to deal with having to do burial or cremation, it really is just we're going to maximize profits and we're going to treat unborn babies that we've unfortunately destroyed as garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I, if I remember correctly in this story, the uh, the mother's name? There were 31 full yeah. names of patients from the facility as well as other information. So it's also potential HIPAA violations. And I will say that every time an abortion facility in Michigan has done that, where they have left women's personal private medical information out there for anyone to find, um, do you think any of them got in trouble with HIPAA for that, Emily? No. No, no, they never do. They just they can get away. They can get away with murder. Use that expression. Literally. Um, when pro-lifers pass any law, whether it's abortion uh, reporting, like statistics, uh, or their people, their pro-life people out front, you know, praying for the facility or counseling the women. Um, abortion supporters always say, oh, these pro-life people are harassing the women. They're getting their private information and, you know, they're, they're, it's like they're stalking them and they just want, like, to know that, like, as a pro-life movement, we don't, I, I don't want the, we don't care is not the right way to put it, but. We don't want your two, personal th- medical there's information. There's 2,400 <laughs> children who die every day. Like, keeping track of that is not the point. The point is stopping the killing. Um, we don't, you know, for example, in this case, uh, Citizens for Pro-Life Society is a pro-life group based in Michigan. Um, Dr. Monica Miller, who is uh, someone that we've worked with in the past, she has a great book about this kind of, this whole issue um, called, the, the name of the book is Abandoned, and she has a lot of experience where they were finding and this ties into the whole fetal tissue trafficking issue, which we'll get into in a moment. But uh, she's experienced so much of it. They helped in this Ohio case. Uh, when they get this information, they don't 
keep the medical information or publicize like pro-lifers don't do that no. there's no examples really of that happening but that's the argument from uh pro-abortion people you guys just want to harass women or whatever but we're not the ones leaving their private medical information in the garbage for anyone anyone at the garbage man any of the people at the dump you know a raccoon gets in there and the wind takes it and blows it over you know we're not the ones doing that abortion industry that's you guys so you guys want to get really upset about that why don't you i have you heard any people who support abortion upset about this no not a single one not a single one maybe emily they don't really care about the patient's medical information it's just you know an excuse for them to criticize us because if they cared they wouldn't do it they wouldn't do it but they do it so they don't care it's pretty proofs in the pudding there pretty pretty plain to see um trying to think there's anything else to talk about in michigan we would have uh banned this with our petition drive um which wasn't successful for no. a multitude of reasons and by ban this, um, the specific abortion yeah, procedure. Yeah, the dismemberment abortion. So yeah, a child at 17 weeks, just hold on a few more weeks, and that child could live outside the womb. Um, and most of the reasons, again, that late-term abortions, dismemberment abortions take place are because not because the child has some health issue or the woman has some health issue. It's for the same reasons as first trimester abortions, economic reasons, uh, life goal, relationships, pressure, pressure uh, that doesn't get acknowledged. And, th and this is the research from the abortion industry itself. This is their own research that they published explaining it. So don't take our word for it. Well, Emily, place your odds. What's going to happen? Well, now, this is interesting. Is the Ohio abortion facility going to be held responsible it's very different. Ohio has a really good pro-life governor who passes all these laws. Maybe they might do something. It's possible. Or are all the people who work in whatever Ohio's version of a Department of Health is, um, are they all really rooting for the other side and they aren't going to do anything about it? My bet, considering the fact that the same abortion facility in 2019, they found that they had been operating without a license. They had an abortionist who had his... Oh, yeah. They had an abortionist who later they found they revoked his license because he was giving out opioids who without records. Who licenses to practice medicine? Um, Overrated. So, just the history of the Department of Health there with this specific issue, I am going to default to the side of you can have the most pro-life people in office that you can, but if the if the the bureaucracy is not behind you, nothing's going to happen. So, so somewhere between when pigs fly and a snowball's chance in hell. Yeah, somewhere in maybe there. Maybe a little less, maybe more, maybe a little greater than that. Um, well, Ohio Right to Life, I saw, held a press conference, and um, so it, the news is in the, out there. We're getting attention to it, but again, if personnel is policy, and if you have a bunch of pro-abortion people working in these facilities, they're never going to hold their friends accountable. Which means pro-life people, I know it's not fun, work in government because you can really yes. make a difference. Yes, please. All right, so let's shift gears just a little bit, so...
Emily, a lot of these late-term abortions, they're performed in such a way as we know now that abortion facilities can sell their organs or have them donate, quote-unquote, donated for uh, reimbursement. Uh, UCSF is uh, University of California's system, San Francisco, obviously, and I like to call them Emily Abortion U. This university trains abortionists, publishes pro-abortion research. Um, if I had to pick one university in the entire country that's most associated with abortion, and there's a, quite a lot, the University of Michigan among them, yes. let's be honest, I think UCSF really deserves the title Abortion U. And Emily, they were, uh, so pro-lifers did a little investigative work. They FOIA, that's Freedom of Information Act, requests uh, some documents from them about their fetal tissue donation because if I'm not mistaken, I know they train abortionists. I do believe they may operate an abortion facility. I believe some they Some universities do. actually operate abortion facilities as part of their little training regimen. Um, so the UCFS, uh, UCSF was purchasing the, we'll keep it as vague as possible, but uh, the genitals of little boys and little girls that were aborted. Um, detailed parts. Keep in mind, as we said, you know, a child at 17 weeks is fully formed and, you know, we're not going to get through a fifth grade health class no. seminar here, but um, specific parts, let's just put it that way. For what purpose, Emily? Experimentation. That's what all the other universities do with um, fetal tissue. We know in the past, and what we've seen, especially in the last few months, is scalps with the hair. Yep, grafting the scalps grafting. of unborn babies, scalping Gra them and grafting it on mice. Grafting fingers and toes and joints onto mice. Mm -hmm. um, organs like the kidney and the liver and the thymus being grafted into mice for experimentation. So we don't know from the FOIA request exactly what type of experimentation the University of California, San Francisco was doing. Um, with those specific, very specific body parts, but it can't be good. No. It can't be good. No. It never is good. Does this sound like, now the excuse they often say is, oh, well, this research is benefiting people and it's saving lives and whatnot. Does this sound like life-saving research to you? No. Especially when you think about some specific parts that they were purchasing. And Emily, you can read the emails because they published it. Uh, Liveaction.org uh, has the information up there. They published some of the content of these emails, and it just always strikes me, you know, Hannah Arendt, the author, talked about the banality of evil, mm -hmm. about the, the Holocaust, that it, you have this great evil going on, and people are still kind of living their lives in the context of perpetrating this great evil. And you can read these emails mentioning these specific body parts, and then they're like, oh, hope you had a great weekend. and uh, Hope that you know, computer issue's fixed. Yeah, hope that computer issue's fixed. Oh, by the way, we bought five blank. You fill in the blanks, dear listeners. Um, it's sick. It's yes. sick. It is sick. It's evil. Yes. It's evil. You know, 
these people call these babies blobs of tissue, undifferentiated masses, clumps of cells. They're very specific requests show that they're differentiated. Yeah, and they are, uh, yeah. Um, And this university is a public university. It's part of the University of California system, and it is basically like, it's abortion you. That's the easiest yeah. way to describe it. it you know, if, if you want to, if you're listening and God forbid you want to go out there and make taking life of unborn children a career choice, then you'd want to go to the University of California at San Francisco. Um, as if that city doesn't already have enough problems problems <laughs> on its own to deal with. Um, maybe all the problems complement each other in a bad way. Maybe they do, yeah. Um, so what can be done about that? Well... It's not illegal to traffic in the bodies of unborn babies as long as you can make a sort of excuse that I'm not really profiting from it. I'm just reimbursing because Planned Parenthood, again, constant theme. No, that lady wanted a Lamborghini. Um, she didn't get in trouble. No. And, and the information we have from the National Institute of Health for the experiments that were going on in, in the University of Philadelphia, we know that the federal government... Was it the University of Philadelphia? Not Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, okay. Uh, uh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, not Philadelphia. Sorry, Philly. Um, but the federal government was paying $2,000 per thymus. So we know that there is money being exchanged for these... Um, pieces of babies and it's technically illegal to do it but if you guise it under the the term of a donation then people are getting away with it so i remember these because i can root against their football teams but emily rooting against the football team of a university that's buying and selling the bodies of children killed as if they were mere objects i think rooting against their football team is not an appropriate or I should say not a sufficient No, sufficient. Response. I can root against their football team all I want, which I do, but <laughs> we need more. Yeah. And let's let's take away their funding. Talk about this. Maybe. You know, it was amazing when those when those undercover videos came out, I and I had a person who I would have never thought was on my side or never would have thought even thought about the issue ask, is this true? And he say yes. Um, and you know, you learn, the more and more you learn about this, the more surreal it is. And when you try to explain this to somebody and say, yeah, this is going on, like, yeah, they, they're cutting the scalps off of the heads of unborn babies and sewing them onto the bodies of mice. People don't believe you. And then you you're, can pull You're cutting the off the genitalia of unborn children and you're doing God knows what with them. You know? Yeah. People... People don't believe it because it sounds outlandish. It's creepy. It's because who would they do understand? That? They understand. They they you understand. You have a natural repulsion yes, to that it. Yes, this is wrong, but yet it goes on, and they're not held accountable. And that's the most maddening thing: is a pro-life group messes up in a pretty innocuous way, and there's going to be a news story about that, and maybe even a national outrage. The, I was thinking. I thought about this randomly today. Uh, the kid at the March for Life, all he did oh, was... Oh, yeah, Nick! Nick Sandman. All he did was stand there. And smile. And try to try not to react. He tried to do the right thing. 
He did the right destroy, thing. He did the right thing, and they destroyed his life. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you can... You, you can know, harvest body parts. You can do, like, Buffalo Bill stuff from from the Silence of the Lambs and get paid for it mm-hmm. in a public university setting, and nobody cares. Yeah. Little Joe Biden there, and nobody cares. Oh, please don't. We care, but it, <laughs> it's, it's maddening. Um... We need people to show courage. We do. We need some courage. That's a great transition to our uh, our third topic today is uh, about courage in context of the Supreme Court hearing. I know we've talked about this case a lot, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Again, just to give a little background, Mississippi's only abortion facility is suing to block Uh, Mississippi from enacting a 15-week ban on abortions, or I should say they enacted it, uh, they're blocking enforcement. Um, So no abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, although it has some some exceptions. Supreme Court's going to hear this case, and uh, so when a Supreme Court takes up a case, often the, the, the petitioners ask Supreme Court to do this, and they ask the Supreme Court to address several questions. And Mississippi did this, and the Supreme Court specifically said that the one question we're going to address in this case is, can a state ban any abortion before the point of viability? That's the main holding of Roe versus Wade as modified in, in 92 by Planned Parenthood versus Casey. They're going to review the whole enchilada. Now, Mississippi is going to be the one defending their law before the court. So their attorney general is the top law enforcement officer in their state and uh, supremely better than our top law enforcement officer in Attorney General Dana Nessel. A little jealous. Um, yes. However, I don't know anything about this, this lady other than she's pro-life and obviously they pursued it all the way up to the Supreme Court and got the Supreme Court to take it, so that's good. But now, Emily, they have to face an important decision. Do they ask the Supreme Court to, A, simply uphold their law, whether that is by modifying Planned Parenthood versus Casey and that whole gobbledygook of an undue burden and and stuff, these made-up rules that the Supreme Court has made? Do they ask them to make up some more rules to let their law pass, which would be a good thing for the pro-life movement. It would be advanced. It It would mean that we could do more. We could ban late-term abortions, save th- tens of thousands of lives, thousands of lives. Um, you know, in Michigan, I think we have about 2,000 um, mm-hmm. dismemberment abortions every year. Or they can ask this. Well, there's three options. One, they can ask them to just uphold their law. Two, they can ask the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade, which is what they should do. Or three, they can ask them to do both. Now, they should do three. Yes. Um, simply because, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to give the, the justices the, the other argument. In uh, a case a couple of years ago, June versus Russo on abortion, we filed a brief before the Supreme Court. And we're going to do that again in this case. So you can, any organization or person can file a, uh, well, anyone can do it. But is the Supreme Court going to read it? It better be a good one. Uh, they can file friend of the court briefs where uh, it gives the Supreme Court more information if they want to look at it. And sometimes that matters. Sometimes they'll take arguments and evidence and pull them out of those briefs 
and use them. So it's not a meaningless thing. But uh, and, and in June versus Russo, we asked the Supreme Court to do both. One, you should uphold Louisiana's law because even under Planned Parenthood versus Casey, it's fine. But really, too, you should overturn Roe versus Wade because it's terrible. And so uh, if Mississippi doesn't ask the Supreme Court either way to overturn Roe versus Wade, if they just ask them to uphold their law, it's not that the Supreme Court couldn't overturn Roe. They can do whatever they want. True. But it's going to, based on how the court usually operates, uh, it's going to lower the likelihood that they're going to be willing to overturn Roe versus Wade. To get the right answer, you have to ask the right question. Exactly. And John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett are going to be teetering on a nice edge. Mm -hmm. And anything to push them one way can make a gigantic difference. And that is the one thing the pro-life movement can do, besides talking about the case a lot, um, which we've done and will continue to do. That's the one thing that we can do to influence it. So it's all resting on the, the Mississippi Attorney General and her courage level. And Emily, when it comes to the issue of abortion, in the public, in the news, in the law, and before the Supreme Court, which is playing Calvin Ball on abortion, making up the rules as they go along and changing them midway through, courage is hard to find. It is. Sadly. Uh, and you can be a group like Alliance Defending Freedom and have a ton of courage, and then, uh, you know, you get labeled as a hate group. <laughs> True. By the Southern Poverty Law Center. But... Ooh. We're already labeled you know. as a hate, like pro-lifers are already labeled as hate groups. Yeah, really, you know, if you're pro-life, it should be baked in that, yeah, the media isn't going to like you. Yeah, Planned Parenthood isn't going to like you, but so what? They're going to say mean things it's about you. It's the right you. thing to do. Yeah. And that needs to be the Supreme The 14th Amendment was, when the 14th Amendment was passed, abortion was illegal in every state. Every single person who put that voted to put that amendment in the Constitution would be appalled today to learn that they that this amendment that is designed to expand our care for human beings and treat human beings more equally and protect the lives of more human beings has been twisted into an excuse to take the lives of 60 million children in the womb since 1973 that we can estimate and count. Yeah. Um, so the Supreme Court needs to not worry about that and do the right thing. And when you out there here reporting on it, you know, you need to realize that what you're hearing may not be the most accurate thing. When people say millions of women are going to die, no, millions of women didn't die. There, millions of women didn't die in 1972, the year before Roe versus Wade. Um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that us big, mean pro-lifers win at all. It means we have to compete in a legislature with voters and their elected officials to pass laws like it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and of course, our eventual goal is to get a constitutional amendment protecting unborn children. And to do that, uh, you can't really cheat your way to do that. You got to build overwhelming public support to do that. And that is, of course, our long term goal. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, the public would support a broad range of things like banning late term abortions banning abortions that target children with Down syndrome, um, banning sex selection abortions, all these sorts of things that we can't do right now because of Roe versus Wade, which the media does such a terrible job, unfortunately, of explaining that it allows abortion through online months of pregnancy for any reason, and you can do some a little regulations 
you know, around it. Um, even though, again, as we said, you can throw the body of an unborn baby in the trash and it entirely depends on who's in office, if that is a worth being, well, if it's worth being held accountable, if that will actually be held accountable or not. So we'll see what happens. So many will see what happens. Um, yeah. Keep your fingers crossed. Pray, talk about the issues, do whatever you can. Um, and if this comes up, and the right thing is letting the people decide. That's it. Democracy, Emily. Democracy dies in darkness, right? Don't bury it with another stupid legal opinion that's from, you know, some unelected people. Yeah don't care yeah all right that's all the time we have for this edition of life beat join us again next week have a wonderful weekend